Welcome to Galaxy Moonbeam Nightsight. We are the retro talk program for nostalgia and baby boomer stuff here on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. I'm Smitty. I'm Mike. And we're so pleased to welcome you to this episode of Galaxy Moonbeam Nightsight. We're so happy to have you with us. We've got in the studio with us a great friend of ours who's come back to visit us, and we're so pleased to have him here. And that is our good friend, Dave Leonard. Dave, welcome back to Galaxy well, Moonbeam Nightsight. Thank Nightside. you so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Normally when Dave is here, we talk about radio. We talk about Top 40 Radio because Dave is the author of Air Check, the story of Top 40 Radio in San Diego. But we're going to talk a little bit about television this time. And actually, in particular, we're going to talk about TV Guide Magazine. Now, Dave's got a great collection of TV guides. You know, we all remember TV guides when we were growing up. We all had them by the coffee table next to the TV set. Well, we're going to talk about TV Guide, a little bit of the history of TV Guide, and we're also going to talk a little bit about Dave's collection later on in the show. But Dave, let's get started. And we all remember TV Guide from back in the day uh, when it was a little small magazine that would cover our local TV listings. How did TV Guide begin? What are the antecedents of TV Guide? Give us a little bit of a history lesson on TV Guide. Well, television began populating homes in the late 1940s, and schedules or guides would be produced regionally and oftentimes included with the Sunday newspaper. That process continued up until the uh, 2000s. But in 1953, Walter Annenberg was the creator of TV Guide as we knew it, and he determined that the time was right to launch a national TV magazine. Now, he acquired TV Digest in Philadelphia, TV Forecast in Chicago, and TV Guide in New York. These were all regional publications. He retooled the production process and launched the first issue on April 3, 1953. And TV Guide would grow to over 180 regional editions produced in seven locations across the United States. And it would become the largest magazine producer, a position it held for 50 years. Well, we all remember TV Guide, so it was pretty ubiquitous whether you got it as a subscription or whether you picked it up at the grocery store or in the checkout counter. That's right. There was no question that the very first cover would feature the most popular show and couple on television, and that was Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball of I Love Lucy. But much interest was in their newborn son, Ricky, who was played on TV using a child actor. Lucy was particularly concerned about maintaining the private life of her family. After all, she and Desi had enough problems leading into the television series. And so they wanted to channel the focus onto their TV son, Ricky, rather than their actual son. And while interviewing the Arnes family at the Northridge home that they occupied, Desi invited the reporter for TV Guide into his study. He glanced down at an envelope on his desk, and Desi excused himself as he briefly left the room. Taking the cue, the reporter opened the envelope to find several photos of little Ricky, the actual son of Desi and Lucy. He selected one for the cover, and you can imagine Lucy's face when she saw the first cover of TV Guide with a picture of her baby that she had no idea was out there in the public domain. Wow. Little uh, Desi Arnaz Jr. That's right. Yes. Who would later come to have his own cover with his mother and sister in 1970. 
I guess they wanted to make a big splash, being it was the first issue, so Lucille Ball... Uh, naturally would have been a, an ideal topic for a first cover of TV Guide. And she remained popular. She w- occupied more covers than anybody else, and TV Guide put more artistic effort into the photograph than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, any TV Guide over the course of time featuring of any image of Lucille Ball is going to have a premium in value over most others. Right. These covers were like works of art. Some of them were, Dave, the the portraiture, again, as you were mentioning, they're almost something that you could frame. There were covers where specific artists were commissioned to provide artwork for the cover. Uh, There was a Hirschfield series that occurred starting in the 1950s and ended in the 1970s, which are highly collectible. They're stylized images of different uh, celebrities. Salvatore Dali created one of the covers. Andy Warhol created the covers. And I think, Mike, you mentioned somebody else that uh, was a notable artist that uh, produced one of the TV uh, Guide Peter, covers. Peter Max Peter in Max. the 60s, yeah. the, some of the psychedelic stuff. And it was, as we're discussing here, the TV Guide covers and even the content, it, it's a magnifying glass into the culture of American media and the culture of American television, celebrities, notables. You actually, through the TV guides and TV guide covers, you watch people grow up not only in their careers, but also, I know we're talking about the 53, the 1953 series of the TV guides. You had uh, Ricky and David Nelson, and they were little boys, basically. They were, I think David Nelson was probably 12 or 13. Ricky was 8 or 9 or, or 10. But you had them in the May fifteenth, fifty three, uh, TV guide, and then fast forward a number of years later, they came back as members of the Ozzy and Harriet show, and move even further fast forward, they became on the TV guide again with their own productions. David Nelson was turned out to be a, a TV producer, so you see people uh, acts that had mm-hmm. come apart i'm primarily referring to the 1953 series cuz we could go on for 6 or 7 hours on the subject of tv guide but just taking just taking the first year the 1953 you had a uh, dean martin and jerry lewis on a cover that act was so powerful and so famous in the early 50s and it came apart you know they parted ways and uh Jerry Lewis returned again on a TV Guide cover, and so did Dean Martin. You had Jack Webb on several times. Uh, Ed Sullivan was on one of the 53s, as I recall. And uh, a lot of the heartthrobs, uh, Milton Burrow and Bob Hope. And you watch them age as TV Guide evolves through the 50s and through the 60s and through the 70s. You watch their careers take turn, different turns, different forks in the road. But basically, it all came back to American pop culture. If you wanted to get the complete history of American pop culture, you would have the TV Guide collection. You would need a rather large warehouse. How much square space would you need? A number of individuals have collected the entire series of TV Guide, and it requires lots of space. An entire bedroom in a suburban home is not unusual in order to house a full collection of TV Guide. It's a very expensive hobby, oftentimes thousands of dollars to build an entire set of TV guide, but there are other ways to approach collecting them. For instance, the first year, 1953, they, the whole magazine was designed differently than from 54 on. It was a little bit longer in, in its uh, shape. 
Another way to approach a TV guide is to collect all fall previews from 1953 forward. That's always a lot of fun. And you can see in a glimpse all of the shows that were coming on each year and how they evolved from one type of genre that was popular to another. Birth years or for each person might be something that people would want to collect and see what was on TV the year or the month they were born. And, of course, Lucille Ball. That is a biggie. Those are the most expensive and uh, also prolific in terms of one person on the uh, the cover. Maybe you have a favorite TV series. One that uh, was very prolific over the course of time was Bonanza because it was on from 1959 to 1973, so was lots of opportunity for Bonanza covers, and they're very desirable, as are all Westerns from the late 1950s. And then the post-1991 uh, split covers, but you have to be careful. When we refer to split covers, that's where they would produce four TV Guide covers of the same topic. One of the very first was Star Trek. And mm-hmm. they also did four covers for Elvis Presley. Collect those if you're interested in the topic, not for investment purposes. They'll never be valuable. Right. But it's something to approach in terms of how one would select TV guides for a collection. Yeah, there's different things that you could do, uh, Dave. You had just mentioned, and as we also mentioned earlier, this really is a reflection of popular American culture in in the mid-20th century. It's also a reflection of the history of television, really, as we look back at all the personalities, all the shows. It's also a technological uh, uh, look back, because I know we were talking before the show, I was mentioning to you specifically that uh, I've seen early issues of TV Guide when color television first came out, and uh, next to the TV show that's coming on, and if it was color, it says color prominently. And later on, as things change, as more and more color shows came out, they switched. And then uh, I think later on in the, uh, in the late 60s, 70s or whatever, it would say BW for black and white to designate a black and white program. Exactly. And the <laughs> early television copied the formats of radio programs where shows were largely in 15-minute increments, mm-hmm. played throughout the day. And you definitely need a TV guide or some kind of guide for that in order to find a show that would interest you. There was no news broadcast. That would come later. And the broadcast day, as we noticed in one instance, began after 9 a.m. and ended around midnight. And there'd be no TV from between midnight and, and the next day. Exactly. How did culture change the TV guide, the American culture? We talked about the... Introduction of TV Guide in 1953, Dave. Let's go up 20 years. Let's go to 1973. The covers had changed. TV Guide typically in the 50s and even in the 60s, basically the covers were photographs. They were photographs of notables. You notice in the late 60s and even into the 70s, I'll just take one example, a, a 1971 TV Guide that... Uh, that portrayed on the cover Haas Cartwright of Bonanza. It's a cartoon. It's a caricature. TV Guide would have never done a caricature way back in the early days. These people were specific to their favorite television and movie stars. We talked about Loretta Young. Uh, They were always made up, really nice fashion shots. But something happened in the 70s. You started getting actually collages, uh, artists, drawings. I don't know if you have the 1977 TV guide that uh, portrayed The Godfather. It was a collage of Vito Corleone, Michael Corleone, of course, uh, Marlon Brando and Al Pacino. But it was a collage. You've never seen a collage or a cartoon or an artist rendering before. And I think that was reflective of the change in American culture. TV Guide followed the changes. It was almost like TV Guide, to me, 
was like um, the Ed Sullivan Show. Ed Sullivan Show was rather set and a little stodgy in the 50s and 60s. He started loosening up when he brought the Beatles in and Sonny and Cher, but he had to change with the times in order to stay marketable. Tell us about how TV Guide managed to stay marketable after so many years. What, 60 years? 62 years now. I happen to know 62 years because I'm a 1953 vintage. (laughs) One of the first issues. But how did TV Guide, I know they were 15 cents a copy till what, however many few years Into the 70s. Into the the 70s. It's the best deal. It's almost like the nickel ice cream cone you could get at Thrifty Drug. The TV Guide would always be 15 cents. My grandmother would send me down to get the TV Guide on Saturdays, and she'd give me a quarter, and I would have a dime left over to go buy treats. Familiarity breeds success. Okay. And people were used to the format of TV Guide. Got it. And the way it was laid out and the information presented was something that people attracted people in order to find the programs that they wanted. It did evolve over the course of time. At the early stages of the publication, they stayed with uh, regular television broadcasts. As time went on, they would include specials. And I'm looking at early 1970s where it's getting political. There's Spiro T. Agnew on the cover of a TV guide. I don't recall him having a show. John Wayne would uh, oftentimes appear on a TV guide, mainly because he was a guest appearance and there was an opportunity to put John Wayne on a cover in order to sell the magazine. But you're right, uh, they did reduce their production value in staging the photograph as time went on because that wasn't intended to be the focus of uh, the sale. It was not so much the artistry, but the content of the cover that they sought to, uh, to do. They didn't push a lot in the early days of TV Guide in current events. I, the TV Guide, I think probably the success was be, they were able to combine a recipe of education, entertainment, and uh, humor. Because TV Guide did have its humorous side, of course, but the, they were very, very tame stories in the TV Guide. You didn't have people writing the editors at TV Guide. First of all, seldom did you know who wrote. You had Army Archer who would write. But uh, there was very few controversial because TV Guide had to be placed in every American home in order for it to work. So you didn't want to cruise too far off to the right or too far off to the left. TV Guide for years and years stayed dead center, centric to center. They weren't going to politically offend anyone. Now we move into the 1980s where it was in vogue to offend someone somewhere about something at some time. Uh, 82, there were people who canceled their TV Guide subscriptions because they didn't like Tom Brokaw, who was on the cover of an 82. Why they didn't like him, I don't know, but you do not want cancellations. You do not want subscription cancellations under any circumstance. And as we moved from the 80s to the 90s, people started getting a little more picky on their movie stars. Uh, The whole Jane Fonda thing about going to North Vietnam. Uh, People love Jane Fonda as an actress, and suddenly uh, Jane Fonda lost a big portion of her audience because of her political views. TV Guide was almost the compass point for keeping everybody together, staying on entertainment level instead of becoming a world report or an opinionated. That changed, however, in the 90s. It got rather controversial. Can you talk a little about that, where TV Guide started becoming more of a a news reporting magazine instead of Lucille Ball's new tomato garden? That also goes with the changing of the times, but it occurred even before that in the 80s, where they would use the covers to promote pieces such as 
public TV in turmoil. Hollywood fights back against production companies, uh, trying to be topical about what's going on behind the scenes, whereas leading up to that time in the early years, they were fluff pieces to be non-controversial and to be something that would compel people to tune into a particular show. The other aspect of TV Guide, uh, as you enter the 90s, is the covers getting very busy with them trying to compete with other magazine mm-hmm. formats, mm-hmm. putting a lot of information on the cover that is not necessarily lending itself to be attractive or desirable to the consumer. So that's when they actually launched a larger format into the full magazine size so that uh, it could cover all of the types of topics that they wanted to into a larger format. Well, Dave, along those lines, as time went on and as technology improved and you began to get all these cable channels, and, you know, before the early days of TV Guide, you perhaps had your local affiliates listed in TV Guide and then uh, or your local stations in TV Guide, and, of course, maybe the ones from the neighboring town or city. So maybe you had 10, uh, ten you know, 8, 10, uh, 12 stations. Now you're dealing with all these cable s- stations, and you're getting more and more stations. Were they able to accommodate all the local stations, all the regional stations, and all the cable stations without making it be overcluttered? Not as the cable programs grew, they just gave up. Mm, And so people relied more on their individual cable provider to look at the guide that's on the screen rather than that is in the print form. A TV guide today will include a schedule at the back, but really what they're focusing on is uh, stories about people that appear on TV and have reached away from the effort to try to keep up with 100 channels and right. all of the content on those channels. Right. That would almost, as you said, that would almost require an electronic means of, of knowing what's on what channel, either either online or either a, a specific channel on the, from the cable provider or a cable guide or something. Well, you know, and if we boil it down to America was a different time, a different place in the 50s and 60s, I don't see how TV Guide, where you... Today, look at an, a metropolitan area like Los Angeles or even San Diego where you have so many various ethnic groups. People are working. You don't have mom at home all day anymore ironing clothes. Everybody's out working. Everybody's at school. We already did a show about America does not sit down at dinner time and sit around the table and eat dinner together anymore. TV Guide had to change their direction in order to encompass, number one, the dozens of new channels that started to pour in starting, I guess, in the early 80s, the different types of channels. We had a discussion earlier in another show before this one about uh, the niches now. There are so many different television interests and niches. There's the National Geographic, but maybe you're more into a history, and there's something for everyone. How does TV Guide manage that nowadays? Before, they just had to put the three networks and maybe two independents in a town. TV Guide in the 50s and 60s, they had to send that TV Guide out to every culture in every little town, whether you were in L.A., which was probably a million people at the time, or you were down in Sagebrush, Oklahoma, somewhere where there's 5,000 people and you get the TV Guide in your farmhouse mailbox. TV guides, they managed to balance that act for years and years. Have they been able to continue doing that? Keep in mind that TV Guide now is having to address hundreds of television stations. Think of all the cable companies in L.A. market area alone, and so each with different programming. So how do you determine what's going to be on the cover? Well, it's going to be one of two things, the hottest thing that week 
or the most controversial thing that week. And that oftentimes isn't necessarily the best topic, right. but it's the one that gets somebody onto the cover of TV Guide. Gotcha. And the excitement of that, the TV Guide, where you look to TV Guide not necessarily for news, but for entertainment. TV Guide has managed to do a high-wire balance act of bringing news and entertainment together, but there are so many different cultural, ethnic groups now. I don't see how one magazine could pull it all together, but apparently they're doing so as best they can because they're still one of the most popular periodicals, weekly, monthly, or whatever, available in print today. So they're doing that. And while on the subject of, of being in print, you know, I guess it was around the 60s, Dave, when the, the Sunday newspapers started inserting a TV guide type TV directory into their Sunday paper. Did that put a hurt on TV guide sales that you could bo- go by the Los Angeles Times on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning and get a TV directory, a TV log, they call them the TV log, and get that included? Did that thwart the sales of TV Guide? It didn't seem to, because okay. after all, that was so-called free with the Sunday newspaper. But at the same time, TV Guide had a niche in terms of adding stories about popular TV shows, or again, the familiarity of finding your particular program on that schedule, whereas the one in the paper was a little bit more dicey to work through in terms of reading and understanding and figuring out where you could find your favorite TV show. That's pretty interesting, too, because with TV Guide, now if you got your TV Guide, I think it hit the mailboxes, what, on Friday or Saturday morning? If it got to you at the when it was supposed to, I know they went on sale to check stands in the liquor stores on Saturday. That's when you'd go get the TV Guide. But I think you'd get the TV Guide if you subscribed on Thursday or Friday. Either way, they had to put that TV Guide together at least a week before it got in the mailboxes. This was a time for our listeners who are younger where news didn't change all that much. It changed, but we weren't fed the news changes minute by minute like we are now, where news bulletins break about every minute and a half on any station you happen to be watching as far as news. So it was pretty stable. It was pretty directed and controllable. The TV Guide was probably set up two weeks before it went to press and a week before it went out in the mailboxes. How could that possibly be in a paper medium nowadays? It would be impossible, wouldn't it? Look at Amazon and what they're able to do in terms of getting product out to customers. (laughs) TV uh, Guide had a formula of beginning on a Saturday and concluding the next Friday. So it had to be in the subscribers' hands by Saturday morning. So it probably hit the mailboxes on Friday. But it was probably a push to get the uh, magazine uh, out and uh, to the consumer's hands on time so that they, it would be useful to them. Sure, they had to go through the postal service and go through all that stuff, you know, so they would arrive in the mailbox. Which, which, yeah. yeah, it brings up a, a, another turn on the TV guide, and we're going to talk a little about collectability. So we want to talk, since we have Dave here, and an avid collector of many things such as us, but he's got an incredible collection of the TV guides. There are certain types of TV guides. We talk about the TV guides that were sent out to the mailboxes and then the ones that were on the little racks at the checkout stations at the grocery store, on the rack over the newspapers, at the liquor stores. There are some more valuable than others. First, let me ask you, because we have to ask every collector this question here at Galaxy, what's your most favorite TV guide in your collection? 
issue number one with Lucille Ball. Okay. <laughs> and why is that? It's because it's the most valuable. Oh, very good. Yes. He is a collector, isn't he? Would well, you Would you want to buy your TV? I don't know, and I won't ask what you paid for issue number one, but would you be so excited as to buy it nowadays that the collector's prices have risen? Ask, is that a $600 TV guide? Yes, it is. Okay. You can find them on eBay as with any TV guide, but the price ranges are going to vary significantly. What makes one TV guide? Let's let's take the year 1953. I find a 1953 TV guide for sale somewhere, be it a thrift store, preferably, or at an auction or an antique arcade. What would make this TV guide for this particular date in 1953? What would make it more valuable than any other TV guide on that date in 1953? Where's the sweet spot? Where's the gold standard in TV guide collectible? Well, the value of a TV guide is determined by its cover and its condition. And covers without mailing labels are valued significantly higher. Why is that? Because they... um, They're not defaced? They're not defaced. You're having a clean cover art, and they're just not desirable. The market doesn't desire um, uh, TV guides with mailing labels. The older the TV guide, the and the better the condition, the more value it's going to be as a general rule. The 1953 set, which came out in April, is particularly interesting because it's designed differently than all TV guides after January 1st, 1954. It has a longer shape than the uh, compact design that came afterwards. Why they did that, I don't know. Perhaps better to fit into a mailbox, but they're distinctively different from all others. And it may have gotten to be an economics, whereas the TV guide got thicker, they had to make it smaller because there were more pages, but it is more of a flyer format right? versus the smaller. In fact, there's a printing format now called TV guide format. A lot of printers have mentioned that when I've ordered printing. Well, it's TV guide format. That's almost a cliche. But uh, you talk about the mailing label, how if the cover's tattered in in any way, of course, it's going to hit on the value. TV guide number one is always going to be a very valuable TV guide. Well, and also issue number 26 is right behind it. Why is that? And that is the one and only cover with Superman. So mm-hmm. both as Clark Kent and as Superman mm-hmm. on the cover. So you got two types of collectors who would go after that one, the TV guide collector and the Superman collector. Uh, those that are pursuing a theme okay. would certainly like. And this goes also uh, for any of the comic book strips that, found their way on the TV, Batman is worth uh, a premium. So as the Green Hornet, those are more valuable because comic book collectors are going to have a crossover desire to have those if landed on TV. Right, it's a cross-collectible. Exactly. If I found a box of TV guides in a thrift store and they were 50 cents a piece and they were from the 70s and 80s, I should grab them because there's probably a niche collector. Uh, I saw an ad in a, in a magazine up in Los Angeles when I was up there, collector interested in any TV guide with covers about police work. You imagine... So Adam 12, uh, Dragnet... McMillan and... Why, yeah, I don't know about PI, private investigation work, but one of the most valuable ones, you'd think it'd be a Jack Webb, but no, it's William Holden as as a Bumper Morgan uh, in The Blue Knight. One of, and then a Joe Wamba police story, but there are guys who collect the TV guides because they have the police-related covers on them. I would suppose there's Bob Hope collectors. So if you find a box of TV guides, and you know what? It's amazing. We talk about things that you used to get find, Smitty, at thrift stores. We talk about stuff that we could find for a dollar or two dollars. 
and how those things are gone, old radios and whatnot, you can still find boxes of TV guides. I can't figure this out because that yeah, that would appear to me one of the first things that got trashed when the new TV guide came was the old TV guide, but I guess somebody put them away in boxes like the National Geographic's. Yeah, somebody wanted to hang on to them, you know. And well, I have to admit, I seem to gravitate towards published items that were designed for a one-week shelf life, and that goes for TV guides as well as radio surveys. But when you have collections and you look at them all together, you have a significant historical context of what's occurring over time uh, in popular um, culture in America. Looking at some of the more valuable TV guides, anything with Lucille Ball on the cover uh, is something that you should grab because there was extra effort in terms of the artwork production. Any fall preview uh, that has been produced... Their value is based on the decades. So the 50s are going to be worth more than the 60s, worth more than the 70s, and so on. The 1956 Elvis Presley cover. There was only one cover with Elvis Presley. That one is highly desirable. We're talking hundreds of dollars. There was only one cover with Howdy Doody in 1954. The Warhol design for Get Smart in 1966. The Salvador Dali design for View of TV in 1968. Some of those that you might particularly want to look for are, are those with your favorite TV series. Uh, the 1950s, those would include Walt Disney, Groucho Marx, Jackie Gleason has a high uh, desirability, and of course, as you mentioned earlier, the Nelson family. In the 1960s, the highest value TV guides are anything with Star Trek on the cover. This is the original series. Bonanza uh, is highly desirable. Andy Griffith's show is, perhaps from a nostalgic uh, purpose. And then the offbeat shows. And again, this is a crossover with comic strips. At the Addams Family, the Munsters, Batman, the Green Hornet, those were not very often provided or produced on the cover and are desirable. The band The Monkees is also something that's desirable from the 60s. We move into the 70s, Sonny and Cher. I think those that is something that's going the upswing. There was a cover with the Brady Bunch in cubes, much like the Hollywood Squares where each one had their photo on it. For some reason, that one is highly desirable. And, of course, Charlie's Angels. In the 80s, again, their value isn't there yet, but something to look for is Dallas and the Dynasty series, as well as anything with Princess Di and Prince Charles on the cover. And there's those that you should probably uh, look for in terms of the potential of being valuable, that would include Michael Jackson covers, The Simpsons are an up-and-comer, and split sports covers with your favorite team. Again, don't look at those for value, but look for interest in terms of things that you might like to uh, have in your own collection of Padre memorabilia mm -hmm. or, or uh, Laker uh, memorabilia. Mm -hmm. And then there's those that probably should be avoided. Uh, retro covers. TV Guide has reproduced the covers of the first edition, Superman, and a host of others. They will never be value. Only the original covers and, and magazines will be. And anything with Bill Cosby on the cover is probably not something that's going to be going up in value. Well, Dave, that sounds really interesting. That's something good for all of our listeners to remember what uh, you suggest that might be a good collectible and what might not be. So we're going to pause right now for a retro commercial, and then we'll be back with more of our good friend Dave Leonard here on Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. How do you follow a great car with a great car? With Chrysler 1970. 
Chrysler, 1970. Your next car. The car built for the age of motion. The car that moves you in style and comfort and luxury. The car that comes from a long line of engineering greats, now so beautifully conceived. The more you see it, the more you want it. Hi, this is Jeff Prescott, and you're listening to Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. This is the Galaxy Nostalgia Network, and the program is Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight. And I'm Gilbert Smitty Smith, along with my good buddy Mike Bragg. Our guest today in the studio is our good friend Dave Leonard. We're talking all about TV Guide magazine. Now, we all remember TV Guide when we were growing up, and we've talked a little bit about the history of TV Guide. Dave's talked to us a little bit about some issues that might be desirable, some topics that are desirable condition, and some topics that might not be, or some covers that might not be too desirable. But, uh, Dave, I wanted to ask you, uh, you have a great collection of TV Guide. You've got the first year, 1953. Uh, how did you begin collecting TV Guide? What got your interest going where you said, hey, I, I want to put a, together a collection of TV Guide? I f- had uh, collected some fall previews and saved them over the years. I started going through antique stores and seeing some of the older copies with high values on them. I did some research and found that uh, TV Guide was on the upswing in terms of its valuation. So my original interest in it was both for investment and for general interest. And from that point, I started collecting all that I could, starting with the fall previews to get the full set of those. And then I targeted the 1953 and have a complete set of those. And then going into 1954, I have uh, probably a fifth, uh, 30 of those and then um, um, a few less of, of each year thereafter. I particularly wanted to capture the westerns from the 1950s and, again, some of those artistic covers from the 60s that were commissioned by uh, known artists. Mm-hmm. Are you eventually going to... Uh Continue to add to your collection. You're going to flesh it out a little bit more and add 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 more if you find uh, additional uh, issues of TV Guide. You know, I've collected many things in my life, and there's always a time where I say I'm done with it, but then I see something on the counter that I just have to have. Yeah. If the price is right, the condition's right, and the uh, um, uh, topic is is the one that's desirable. So yes, I still pick up a TV Guide every now and then if uh, under those kinds of conditions. I would add, too, that if anybody is interested in learning more about this, there is the official collector's guide of TV Guide by Stephen Hofer, but it's by Bang Zoom Publishers of New York. So look for that in terms of being a good Bible for use in TV Guide collecting. It has a picture of every single cover chronologically and a valuation guide at the back. I'd look at the valuation guide as something as, as uh, advisory at best. Mm-hmm. But uh, nevertheless... Um, it is the the best means of, of gauging what's out there and what uh, you might like to uh, pursue in terms of collecting in some form. Well, that's great. And I imagine there's probably a lot of resources online also as far as uh, TV Guide uh, stuff online that you could look up and get information about. You can. Uh, there is a number of websites focusing on TV Guide, but not generally as the overall magazine, but as topics or individual covers or, or personalities that will feature a TV guide. 
I still look to eBay as being the primary source of collecting. Um, again, you've got to watch your prices very carefully, not uh, uh, get hyped up into the auction uh, craze. And then uh, still in, in uh, antique stores, secondhand stores, you can still find them at a very reasonable price. And frankly, I would look at them for less than 10 bucks a piece for anything from the uh, 60s and 50s as a good price mm-hmm. for any, any cover. I imagine a lot of the ones that you find in uh, antique stores, thrift stores, are probably uh, from the seventies or and later. Oh no, no, no! They, no? they go back really? to the sixties and, okay. and the fifties, oh, okay. late fifties. Great. Great. And uh, it's also uh, shows what knowledge the vendor has on TV Guide mm-hmm. in terms of their pricing. Sometimes they're not realistic. Sometimes they don't know what they have. Mm-hmm. So it's worth the trip. And I imagine that there's that there's again, as you mentioned before, there are certain topics: uh, westerns, quiz shows. Fall previews, you could collect, you know, that just that genre in, in TV Guide. I uh, purchased the quiz show f- uh, featuring the $50,000 question that had the scandal behind it. Right. thinking that was going to be great. It never has them out of much to value. Quiz shows just don't do it, except for Groucho Marx. But the general rule of thumb is the older the better. Go for westerns in the late 50s and early 60s. Bonanza all the way through. Gunsmoke, for some reason, doesn't have that kind of value attached to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, look for comedy shows from the early 60s, led by Andy Griffith and the spin-outs from that. And as you go into the 70s, detective programs. You mentioned earlier the desirability of police. Detective programs were highly desirable. All in the Family uh, would be a good cover to get when from its first season. And looking at stars that were had short-run TV careers or interest, uh, William Holden was mentioned earlier. Jimmy Stewart had a had a brief tenure as, as a TV show star, and so those that uh, you generally relate to movies might have something that is very attractive in terms of desirability and price over the time to come. Mm-hmm. Is there any advice that you could give to somebody who's who wants to begin collecting TV Guide? I mean, we obviously you can find them online, find them on eBay, find them in thrift stores, but. Uh, any any other thoughts of advice? The, somebody says, hey, I like TV Guide. I want to start collecting them. Identify a series that you want, whether that's the fall preview, a certain year, your birth year, or your birth date each year. Uh, but don't go into it in t- terms of trying to buy every single uh, copy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it needs to be something that you can manage and see how your interests fall over the course of time and how you build a collection. What if a TV guide is, has writings on it? The TV guide had the crossword puzzle, and you'll find some that have somebody who's either completed or attempted to do the crossword. Will that lessen the value? No, crosswords are not a problem whatsoever. Okay. But I would have my mother keep uh, her subscription to TV guide for me because she kept her subscription long before I did. And um, she would always put Keep for David on written in ink on the cover. So it just went into the trash as soon as I got it. Oh. She ruined it. Oh, no. Hi, Mom. <laughs> Unless there's some David collectors out there. Yes. But how about if if you can uh, pedigree a TV guide that was subscribed to and mailed to a celebrity? I found a stack at the Rose Bowl swap meet. Now, this was way back. Believe me, don't ask me if I have them now because I made the... I made the mistake that we warn against on this show of getting rid of stuff that you get. I don't have a garage big enough. I got married, and right after I sold the Corvette Stingray and started having daughters, out went a lot of the collectibles. But the question is, Dave, I had a box of TV guides, and 
either Life or Look magazine. They were combined. There was about 20 of each that actually were subscribed to by Jimmy Cagney. It said James F. Cagney, and it had, mm. and I think he lived on Wonderland Drive in Hollywood. Would that jack up the value? Absolutely, by okay. a wide margin. Okay. Now you've got a provenance to it. A provenance. You not only have a edition that's dated and and uh, uh, a cover that's that you that's known, but now you know who was subscribing to it, who held it in their hand, and who had it as their own private or personal possession, and that uh, is. Something you don't even think about in terms of collectability, but certainly a celebrity's name that's on the cover, even though it is a mailing label, that's the exception, um, where wow. the value is, is uh, substantially enhanced. And don't take the word of the person you're buying it from, because they may have a box of them they pulled out from an estate sale or a garage, because on this particular case of the James Cagney, I remember, and this I, we talked about this on Galaxy, I think it was Galaxy 76 or 77, she wanted $5 for the box, and I stood there, and I was probably in my, maybe I was in my late teens. It was a long, long time ago, but I remember, here's this cardboard box, and here's these Life magazines and TV guides, and I asked her how much for the box. I saw the labels, um, and they were all James Cagney on Wonderland Drive, and I said, how much? And she said, well, I'm asking $5 for the box, but you know what? I'll take three because it's not the James Cagney you think it is. Don't rely on what somebody tells you when you buy something because whether or not a collector, it may not all be true. Now, but this is an occasion you're telling me I would have, because of the provenance, I would have had something way above and beyond the standard value of that TV guide. So that's where the paper label actually comes in valuable. Yes, but for three bucks, it's worth a chance. Yeah, well, sure. I grabbed it up. You sure. know, she she actually negotiated against herself for three bucks. That's not really. And I was looking for the TV guides because of the old shows. They were probably TV guides from, as I recall, from the late 50s, early 60s, which in themselves would be valuable. Mm-hmm. But with Jimmy Cagney's mailing label on them, it, it's, it would be amazing probably what they would be worth nowadays. Well, I have you on that same subject, Dave. How about TV guides that have an autograph of the person that's on the cover? We recently lost Martin Milner of Route 66. I have the Route 60. I don't have it, but I have an associate, a friend of my brother's, who has the Route 66 TV guide with Martin Milner and George Maharis, maybe? Anyway, the two guys on Route 60. He has Martin Milner's autograph on the cover right under his right under his face. Would that add to the value? Probably so. Okay. Have pure, you heard of any of those? Yes. It, my purest TV guide collector is not necessarily going to be attracted to that because okay. it's detracting from the collection. Right. But somebody that's collecting autographs that happens to be on, particularly on a cover that features that person's show, is going to be something that has value but not necessarily to a TV <laughs> guide collector. It's going to be an autograph collector or a Martin Milner collector. Mm-hmm. My, going back to your experience with James Cagney, I before I seriously started collecting TV guide, I found a box of 1959 TV guides at an antique store for 50 cents a piece in the early 80s. And he wanted $10 for the whole box. I just couldn't yeah. imagine popping that kind of big money for these TV guides. I mean, they were used. They were old. Boy, I wouldn't hesitate anymore. Isn't that amazing how today we have stuff and all the throwaway stuff we get with our fast food, happy meals and takeout mm-hmm. wrappers. And if I'm telling you, folks, if you're younger out there, you're not one of us baby boomers, maybe hang on to a box or two of that stuff. My wife, for whatever reason, kept all the Happy Meals from my daughter who was born in 1981. We have about three years of Happy Meal toys 
from the early and mid-80s, and it's incredible how those have created value in 30-something years. Anything in 30 years is going to create value. You can buy memories. Yes, you can buy memories. Some things were not meant to be collectibles, like TV guides were not meant to be collectibles. Why are TV guides so valuable? And my collection of 1984 Olympic pins aren't worth what I paid for them in 1984 because those pins, folks, were meant to be collectible. That's why so many people Mm -hmm. bought them. That's why there are so many people that have them, and you can't get your money back. Dave, on the other hand, is making the point that TV guides were made for one reason. They had a seven-day or, in some cases, six-day shelf life, and they weren't even big enough to line the bottom of the canary cage. So they got wrapped up with the the Sunday morning pancake batter (laughs) and the napkins from the Farmer Farmer John's sausage, (laughs) the wax paper that comes with the Farmer John's smoky links, and off they went. So listen, folks, you've got things that you think just maybe you think they're valuable because they were made as collectibles, not true. The more valuable items, and you'll agree with me here, Dave, and I know Smitty will, mm-hmm. were the things that weren't meant to be collected. Exactly. They weren't Absolutely meant to yes. have long shelf lives. Right. Right. And you had a brand new fresh TV guide coming in as, as one was expiring. There's no further purpose for it. And you certainly didn't want those building up around your den, so you threw them away. But yet there were enough people that, that saved them. They said, you know what? I don't want to throw this out. I'm going to put it in that box in the basement. That put, and I'm it, gonna... that put them in boxes. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible, yeah, Smitty, because we've yeah. talked about that before. Yeah. People who've had the great radios that guys like you and us are looking to collect. So many people, when their radio blew up and they got a new desktop rather than the floor model, they would have the junk man come and haul the other one. Other people, like my grandparents, would take that big old clunky heavy radio and put it out in the garage. Mm-hmm. Correct. I have in this decade purchased mint condition 1953 TV guides. I don't know where they were all those years and how they kept them in that condition, but they're certainly a premium in terms of value now. Sure. And those treasures are still out there. They're, they haven't all been picked through. There's, there's still going to be a garage in Burbank, California, or National City, or Dayton, Ohio, that's going to have a few boxes of usually newspapers. Now, a lot of people kept newspapers because of the headlines. We can ask our good galaxy good guy buddy Jeff Prescott about the JFK assassination newspapers, why aren't they? I have a JFK my grandmother had, and it was in a shoebox, and she died, and we cleaned out the garage, and I'm wondering if I can get $300 for this Los Angeles Times JFK. No, you cannot, because guess what? Everybody else's grandmother mm-hmm. kept the same cover. Mm-hmm. Same with Life Magazine and Look and Life Saturday there. Evening Post. There's so many of them around. But, but you can never be too sure, right, Smitty? You That's never right. know. You there never are know. some radios. I'll be in an antique mall or a thrift store. I'll snap a picture on my smartphone, send it over to Smitty, and I think, wow, it's a Phil Cohen, it's a blah, 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 model this and that, and they only want 45 bucks, and Smitty won't even return my text <laughs> because he's busy hunting for TV guides. That's right. <laughs> but the moral of the story here, I have folks, a few to sell you. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll have to talk to you, Dave. Yeah, he's got, yeah, Dave's always got some stuff to sell. He does, yeah. Dave, what about, let's talk real briefly as we get ready to, to close our show. What about uh, preserving these, storing them? Uh, how do you store them? What's the best way to preserve them, to keep them safe for, from any further deterioration, uh, uh, any hints on that? that yes, I uh, sli- my most desirable TV guides, they slip into plastic, 
and store them in plastic bins mm-hmm. uh, with your air-controlled or sealable uh, bins. And those do the trick just fine. I understand you mentioned Jeff Prescott. That's how he keeps his newspapers, that's too. Mm-hmm. And, it, and mm-hmm. he also added, guy said, well, you can get these plastic bags. Can't you use a laundry or a dry cleaning bag? He, oh, no, no, there's a, there's an acid in those. It's a petroleum dust. And in five years, you will have uh, confetti. And I did some yeah. research, and it's a certain bag. It's a collectible-type bag. It's the bag you would buy for your comic book collection. Okay, yes. Mm-hmm. There's a certain plastic. Uh, the Keeping the bags that the throwaway newspaper comes to your driveway every Tuesday is not the right kind of bag. There's something wrong with them or something in them. Maybe they're made in China. I don't know. Well, wherever they're made, they're cheap. You can they're buy cheap. hundreds of them sure. for just a few a couple of dollars. So and they'll wipe, out, they'll wipe out your product. They'll, wi- they'll fade your color covers. Mm-hmm. There was a guy I know that collected, I forgot what type of magazines, but the type of plastic he was keeping them in just ate away the tint. The the tint of the colors, uh, they were men's magazines from the 50s and 60s. I learned the same lesson. Same thing with VHS videotapes. Actually, reel-to-reel home movies, you can destroy those. Dave makes a good point about atmospherically correct. You cannot put them in a cardboard box without a lid and shove them in the bottom of your garage. Nor can you shelve them forever either because they collect dust and discolor. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. best to just pack them away and pull them out when you want to enjoy them. And, and packing them in plastic ba- in, in sealed plastic bags, the, the high quality plastic bags. Well, you, yes. you have sealed tubs for your stuff right. too. Yeah. You actually sealed bags and sealed tubs. You right. have double coverage. You I seal do. the bags yeah. and then they go in a tub, which is sealed by the lid. But I don't do that for my seventies and eighties. So those oh. are just the straight TV guides sitting in the tubs. Okay. Dave has TV <laughs> guides at environmental risk. Everyone. Yeah. But but uh, as but as time goes on i'm sure eventually those will find their ways into, into plastic yeah, bags if they're the right the, ones you bet the right ones exactly well dave uh, uh thanks for those hints and we've we've had a great time talking with you about tv guide magazine and your collection before we go any further uh you of course are the author of air check the story of top 40 radio in san diego which we've talked about numerous times on our show before it's a great book would you tell our listeners how they can order a copy for themselves for their collection? Well, I got to tell you a story that sure. I just sold a book to a lady in Yonkers, New York, and she emailed me to I emailed her to confirm the purchase, and she emailed back to say that she was buying it for former uh, KCBQ DJ Bill Bishop, but she's a librarian, and she had went through the book and talked about how valuable it was as a historical record. I thought that was very neat of her to take the time to do that for something she wasn't even going to keep anyway. So there is some value to a lot of people of my book, which is called Air Check, the story of Top 40 Radio in San Diego. And you can find it by simply Googling Air Check San Diego, and that'll bring it to my website. There you can find on the website uh, audio clips of the TV of uh, radio shows, <laughs> going back to TV, <laughs> and also audio of, of our radio shows, images of uh, studios, and even coverage charts of where the broadcast signals extended. Right. Well, that's great, David. We heartily endorse your book because we have copies of it, and it's a fantastic book, and uh, we certainly hope all of our listeners will consider purchasing a copy. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, you know, Dave, and if people do have a, a specific question regarding the content of what you've so uh, graciously presented today on this show, how would they reach you by email? 
Don't give out your phone numbers because there are the TV Guide oh, poachers yes. out they'll, there. They'll come out and we tried that you. once. and it didn't work very well, did it, Mike? No, but, you know, they went away <laughs> after we settled with the other side's attorney. That's right. We did. But how would people reach you on an email? They're going to have they're going to be questions, especially on the TV Guide show. You're typically going to get, hi, Dave, loved your show. Do I have something here? Do you want to buy it? But uh, we do welcome emails to all our guests, and we we'll definitely want to keep you in that loop. How would people contact you by email with any questions or input or suggestions? It starts with my name, Leonard D as in David, L as in Leonard, A as in Associates. Leonard D-L-A at earthlink.net. Leonard D-L-A at earthlink.net, fellow earthlings. Well, that's it, Smitty. What do you think? I think that's... Uh puts a bow on this show. That puts We've a bow on this show. certainly had a wonderful time That's with our good fine. friend Dave Leonard, and we, we want to invite all of our listeners to send us an email. If you have any memories or things you'd like to talk to us about, our email address is galaxymoonbeamnightsight at gmail.com, galaxymoonbeamnightsight at gmail.com. Our website is galaxymoonbeamnightsight. Don't forget our entire library of programs is available for your listening pleasure on iTunes and on mixcloud.com. And uh, we want to thank our good buddy Dave Leonard for being with us today and uh, providing us such wonderful information on TV Guide. And that's all the time we have on this show. We thank you so much for listening to us. Until next time, I'm Smitty. I'm Mike. And I'm Dave. And we'll catch you later, folks, on Galaxy Moonbeam Nightsight on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. This is the Galaxy Nostalgia Network.